For a long time, operational technology considered itself mostly protected from threat by the fact that it wasn't connected to information technology. Or, more accurately, it wasn't connected to the big bad world of the internet. OT was safe thanks to an air gap, or so the theory went. But that isn't the case anymore, and it hasn't been for quite some time. And this can cause major problems because of the fragility of OT networks. Hi, and welcome back to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast, or the uh, ICS Pulse podcast, as it is known colloquially. Wow, that was a big word for me to try to throw out there. Uh, Early in the podcast and early in the morning when I'm recording, I'm pretty impressed that I landed the plane. Uh, I am your host, Gary Cohen. I'm on a solo mission today. Tyler Wall is uh, on a trip to uh, Europe right now, actually, is in Amsterdam as I'm recording. So not only am I sitting here recording, but I'm uh, powerfully jealous of my typical co-host, Tyler Wall, who is not here with me today. So um, apologies to our listeners. You will have nobody to listen to but me for the beginning and end of this podcast. But the good news is we've got a great guest who's coming on today. David Masson, who is the uh, Director of Enterprise Security at Darktrace, a leading cybersecurity artificial intelligence company. And he's going to talk to us about um, this kind of counterintuitive idea of the fragility of OT networks. You know, you think of OT networks as um, these huge machines that are designed to do the same thing for years and years and years on end. And the thought of something like that being fragile uh doesn't always track but but we'll talk about why that is why they are fragile it's a a very interesting discussion um it is also still cybersecurity awareness month so happy cybersecurity awareness month everybody uh again cybersecurity awareness month it's a collaboration between government and private industry to raise awareness about digital security and and to help everybody better protect their both personal data and their organizational systems from all sorts of cyber crime. Uh, I will reiterate, as we do every podcast during this period, uh, the four key behaviors that are being focused on here during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, uh, which are really pretty standard cyber hygiene. But uh, when I say standard, I don't mean that everybody's doing them. I just mean that everybody should be doing them. Uh, first on that list is enabling multi-factor authentication. I'm sure most of you, to all of you, know what that is. But it's no different than if you try to sign into your bank account online and they've got to text you a confirmation code. Um, there are multiple steps to sign in to something important. Uh, using strong passwords and a password manager. This is a tricky one. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um I, passwords can be an annoyance. You know, if you want them to be complicated as they should be, strings of numbers and letters and symbols, uh, it can be hard to remember them. So where do you keep them? Password manager. Uh, but it is important to have those strong passwords. Don't use the same password over and over again. Uh, don't use obvious passwords. Um, your child's name, your middle school, your uh, your pet's name. Those are things that if somebody knew you or a hacker could get into your information, uh, could pretty easily guess those passwords. Um, updating software, this is a big thing when we're talking about operational technology systems. These things, like I said before, run forever. And uh, they've been around for so long that it can either be difficult to update the software. There might not be updates anymore for really older software. Uh, but keeping these things up to date, updating the software, running patches, very important. 
And then recognizing and reporting phishing. Phishing is still one of the primary ways threat actors get into systems. Uh, we humans cannot always be trusted to, to suss out what is a valid email and what is not a valid email. So, uh, so learning about phishing attacks, um, so you aren't susceptible to them, learning how to recognize them. And then if you see something, report it. Report it to your company, report it to your IT department. Let people know that it's out there. So you are not a victim to a phishing attack. Again, all of that cybersecurity awareness awareness month content uh, content that was tricky. Let's try that again. All of that cybersecurity awareness month content. Hey, look at that. Uh, comes with that hashtag be cyber smart. Hashtag B E C Y B E R S M A R T. Um. It was another interesting week in cybersecurity this week. Uh, last week when we came to you with the podcast, we mentioned briefly Common Spirit Health it was hit by what was reportedly a cyber attack, but it had not been confirmed. It has since been confirmed that that was a ransomware attack. Uh, and there was another one this week um, that, that, that could have affected our co-host Tyler, who was not here. Uh, more than a dozen major U.S. airports were knocked offline temporarily this week as they found themselves victims, you know, in the crosshairs of a, a pretty wide scale cyber attack. Um, the, the, these attacks luckily did not impact anything like critical systems, uh, air traffic control systems, airport communications, uh, but they did take down some of the public facing websites at airports. And it was major airports. It was LaGuardia in New York, uh, Chicago's O'Hare, which is where Tyler was flying out of, uh, Hartfield Jackson in Atlanta, and a bunch of other ones. Um, but we're, we're all taken offline. And I mean, it was, uh, and it was a Russian group that claimed responsibility for it, a Russian group charmingly called Kilnet. Uh, their modus, opera, uh, modus operandi is uh, DDoS attacks, distributed denial of service attacks, which is exactly what they did, which is basically um, flooding networks with, with uh, too many data requests, too much communication, overwhelming them so they eventually become inoperable. Uh, so that's what they were doing to these attacks. Um, it was, I first noticed at LaGuardia and spread to other places. Most people assume that this attack was, uh, like I said, it was the Killnet group, which is not affiliated with the Russian government, but they are hacktivists who often work with the Kremlin. Uh, most people assume these attacks on U.S.-based airports were because of um, the U.S. has continued support for Ukraine in the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. So one of the reasons people think that happened. But, but I actually wrote an article earlier this week uh, on industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. Please visit uh, we every Thursday have what we call a throwback attack. So it's a, a historical cyber attack, one that happened a little while ago that we might be able to learn something from. And clearly, this is not the first time this week that airports or airlines have been hit. So I wrote an article earlier this week about a cyber attack in 2015 on Lot Polish Airways, which is the national carrier of Poland, uh, where it was a similar attack. It was a DDoS attack. Um, but that one ended up causing uh, Frederick Chopin Airport in Warsaw, which is Poland's capital, to, uh, to cancel around 20 foreign and domestic flights. There were like 1,400 passengers who were stranded in the airport. Um, basically, the DDoS attack hit information technology systems and 
they weren't the lot airlines was unable to issue flight plans for their outbound flights, which just left passengers stranded and and uh, and and frustrated. Uh, and certainly sent a, a kind of warning shot across the bow of the transportation industry, which is one of the industries that CISA uh, says is one of the critical infrastructure industries to the country, transportation and aviation. Um, but, you know, this is uh, at the time the CEO of Lot Airlines came out and said this is an industry wide problem. It's a much wider scale problem and sort of questioned the safety of, uh, of airlines and, and airports. So, um you know, another attack on airports again happened this week. Uh, didn't affect passengers. Most of the people who came out and, and spoke on it said it was at worst an inconvenience, which is, I guess, the way you want these things to play out. But um, but always scary when airlines and, and airports are hit. And really, it gets even scarier when those strikes crossover from information technology, which is usually where they come in into operations and suddenly you know in this situation in the lot situation in 2015 flights are shut down and it's the same kind of thing that happened you know if you look at something like colonial pipeline where the intrusion came in through an it system but it and ot systems are so intertwined now that the ot systems get shut down the pipeline stops flowing so those ot attacks are the ones that always scare me a little bit more and that's Actually, what our guest, David Masson, is going to be talking about today, again, that idea of, of the fragility of OT systems. I mean, the era that we're living in now, the age of the Internet of Things, uh, IT-OT convergence, generally IT is now being used to help manage OT because most OT systems are connected. That air gap, if it ever did exist, doesn't really exist anymore. And according to, to Masson, and we'll, you'll hear from him later, and he'll, he'll speak much more eloquently than I do, um, you know, this is a net positive that IT is being used to manage OT because it helps businesses be more efficient. It helps make OT more efficient. But as you connect OT to networks, to the internet, you also introduce this, uh, this new threat environment, this whole new world of threat where suddenly your OT systems become more vulnerable and more susceptible to attack. And as I said before, that, that you know, anybody who thinks there's still a, a big division between IT networks and OT networks, that's mostly an illusion now. Um, they're just too intertwined. So you look at recent cyber attacks that have happened, whether that's on uh, JBS, which I, I, if I remember correctly, is the world's largest meat processor. They were hit through their IT system. It shut down their OT uh, Molson Coors had a cyber attack where the same thing happened. Colonial Pipeline had a cyber attack where the same thing happened. So really almost any attack on OT is probably going to originate in an IT system. So um, according to Masson, that, that so you need to find ways to protect both of these systems in, in, in a converged ecosystem. Um, and when I talk about OT systems being, the attacks on OT systems being scary, OT systems being susceptible, it's for very obvious reasons. I mean, OT is what supports most of our critical national infrastructure. We're talking about nuclear power, water, wastewater, transportation, all of these things that millions and millions of people rely on every day that we need to have operational to have our, our country, our world operate in the way it should. 
Um, those things are managed and run by OT systems. If those things go down, uh, that can be very dangerous. We've mentioned it on the pod before, but Oldsmar, this attack that happened last year in, in this town, Oldsmar in Florida, where somebody um, hacked into the water facility and raised the levels of lye in the water. It was an inelegant attack, was caught pretty quickly. No harm was done. But, you know, in the thought experiment, if you play that out, if somebody had successfully raised the levels of lye in the water, that could have had huge, huge impacts on society, on human life and safety, and would have been uh, a much bigger story than it already was. And it was already a fairly big story. Uh, But the other thing... you know, it's hard to to get really robust cybersecurity in a company or an organization if there's not buy-in for it. And one of the things that can create buy-in is if you can make a business case, and there is an obvious business case for protecting OT as well, which is if your OT systems go down, whether you're making widgets or beer or candy or, you know, it's it's nuclear power, once those go down, the cash registers turn off. You know, you're you you can you can no longer make money you can no longer make your product um there can be reputational damage that goes along with that so suddenly your customers can say no thank you don't want to work with this company company anymore didn't realize they were so susceptible um so that's a big thing and then like we talked about with Olmar, Oldsmar uh there's the safety issue um if somebody attacks a nuclear plant, a building automation system in a big high rise in downtown New York or Chicago or Los Angeles, those can have huge impacts on human safety, which, uh, which, is, uh, which is a scary thing. Um, and, you know, Masson in this interview, uh, it was a, kind of an eye-opening interview for me. He was, when I started this job, he was one of the first people that I talked to uh, and I, I, full disclosure, I do not come in with a cybersecurity background. I'm a, I'm a, a writer and editor, a content person. And so it was uh, quite the learning curve, learning about cybersecurity and trying to get conversant in it. And when he came out and said, you know, well, OT systems are very fragile. I questioned that because I, well, A, I didn't know what he's talking about. But B, it just, it seemed like a weird way to describe, you know, massive plants and machines that, you know, our, our, their, their whole purpose is their reliability, the fact that they can perform the same function for 10, 20 years. Um, but his point is, OT systems, because they are designed exactly like I just described, were generally not designed with security in mind. Cybersecurity was not an issue 20 years ago when a lot of these machines were built. They were designed for availability and safety. They were not dev- designed for uh, security. In fact, uh, many of these systems are old and outdated. Many of these systems were designed so long ago, the internet didn't even exist. So uh, cybersecurity was not a real concern back then. So, you know, that can, that adds to the fact that they can be, they can be pretty fragile. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, argument that David Masson made. Um, the other funny thing from one of my first conversations with him and this is something that's held true over the all the subsequent conversations that I've had with all of the cybersecurity experts that uh, that have talked to us at ICS Pulse is at the end of the conversation, there's usually one thing, if not more than that, that everybody we interview says that scares me that I, I listen to and I hadn't thought of before and just ends up scaring the hell out of me. And I remember that with uh, with David. 
is we finished the interview that I was doing with him. And then he's a very nice gentleman. We sat and talked for a little while. And uh, because Dark Trace, a company that he works for, uh, specializes in AI and artificial intelligence, using artificial intelligence to protect systems, we were talking about AI and how it can be used for defense. And I, as a newbie at that time, was like, well, that sounds great. What a wonderful thing. And, and David kind of looked at me and, uh, and is the most affable person, but also has a, a long background as a, as a kind of government, um, you know, as a, I want to say operative. He called himself a spook. That's what he used to define himself. So kind of a scary man to begin with um, and, and said, yeah, no, AI can be really good. The problem is uh, the hackers and threat actors can use AI too. And so imagine what the threat environment is going to look like when the hackers start leveraging both AI and 5G networks. And then we kept talking and we got off the call. And I thought about that for a little while and realized just how scary that prospect is. So uh, I will credit David with being the first, but definitely not the last one to scare me on, on one of these many talks we have with cybersecurity experts. Again, he's a lovely person and he said it in a nice way, but yeah, it was, uh, it definitely took me aback a little bit. Um, with that, I will stop yammering along and I will bring in David Masson. Again, wonderful man. He's the director of enterprise security at Darktrace. He has more than two decades of experience working in fast moving security and intelligence environments in the UK, Canada, and worldwide. He lives in Canada now. You will notice he has a Scottish accent. He is Scottish. Uh, but has lived in Canada for a while. With skills developed in the civilian, military, and diplomatic world, he's been influential in the efficient and effective resolution of various unique national security issues. Very, very happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, David, for being here. Thanks, Gary. I'm really pleased to be here. So today we're going to talk about a subject that's, that's near and dear to our hearts, ITOT. That's Information Technology, Operational Technology. Uh, with the Industrial Internet of Things, these two sides are very interconnected now. I think that's best evidenced by the recent hacks on the Colonial Pipeline or JBS, where they were hacks on the IT side that spilled over and halted operations on the OT side. But there still does exist this divide between the two sides. So Given the modern threat environment, David, why is it so necessary for IT and OT to work together on cybersecurity? Yeah, you're absolutely right to um, point those issues out, Gary. Excellent issues. Um, for the longest uh, period of time, uh, OT considered itself protected by the fact that it wasn't connected to IT or, more correctly, wasn't actually connected to the big bad world out there, primarily through the Internet. There was a big air gap around it and it was okay. Um, but that isn't the case anymore, and it hasn't been the case for quite a long time. There has been this, what we call the ITOT convergence, which is basically IT starting to be used to help manage OT in lots of different ways. And that should be seen of as a good thing, because the whole idea is to make OT more efficient by using IT to help run it. Um, but obviously, uh, in doing so, when you bring the benefits of IT onto OT, you're also bringing that world of threat landscape that we all are so familiar with with IT right now. So that is an issue for them. And so people are going to have to start realizing that you actually have to really put some effort in now into actually protecting not just your IT, but your OT at exactly the same time. So on that note, what advice would you give to help bring these two sides together and help them work together a little bit more seamlessly? Okay. Um, the first thing you want to really realize is before, before when the air gap still existed, there was this division, there was this sort of distancing, um, there was this siloing 
um, of the threats. IT got, got its own big bad world, OT had its. And as we've seen in many cases in the IT environment, uh, people tend to end up start using security products that are effectively siloed. One product for this, one product for that, one product for the next thing. And then cloud SaaS, email, or whatever, IoT, whatever it is. And on the IT side, because they're all different, they don't communicate with each other. And when you don't have communication, you've got gaps. And where you've got gaps, threat actors will exploit that. So in terms of trying to come up with um, new solutions for OT, that don't work in IT at the same time, you still got that gap. You still got that gap because you're using one type of technology to protect your IT, one to protect your IT, while acknowledging that you're probably gonna get attacked via your IT onto your OT. So I would advise people who are looking at this right now to be considering trying to use the same technology for both your OT and IT. It will work so that you get one unified approach to your security with a system or systems that are actually gonna communicate with each other uh, because what I can tell you is when your threat actors attack you, they take a unified view of your entire digital infrastructure, and that's the way they view it. So a lot of these attacks recently, at least in the U.S., but in other places as well, have been on critical infrastructure, whether that's been an oil pipeline, whether that's been food and beverage, whether that's been yep. water treatment facilities. So what does the future of OT cybersecurity look like in regards to critical infrastructure? Um, uh, most of the critical infrastructure in the United States and indeed where I am up here in Canada, 85% of it is in private hands, okay? The, the government doesn't run it. Uh, government doesn't run pretty much any of it at all. And so what people are gonna have to realize is um, that uh, you've got a choice. You can wait for the government to come along and do something for you and that's gonna be difficult for it, or you can start doing it yourself. Um, OT is absolutely worth protecting. Um, not just from the point of view that because it supports critical and affluent infrastructure, the systems that we rely on to run the countries that we live in, but also because at the end of the day, it's going to affect your bottom line. You know, if you're a company, you're there to make profits and provide salaries and wages and, and dividends for everybody. If you're not any good at this, this isn't going to work for you. And your share prices can drop, your customers can walk away. And that's probably the biggest issue is when customers walk away from you. So there's an incentive, not just from doing the right thing for the country, but doing the right thing for the organization to actually start protecting your OT. Well, especially if you look at something like uh, the Molson Coors hack that happened or that JBS hack, once those systems shut down, companies are immediately hemorrhaging money. They can, they can no yeah. longer make money if they can't move their product. Yeah, that's absolutely right. As soon as production shut down, that's it. Uh, they've stopped, effectively stopped. And uh, in, in uh, one of the cases you mentioned there, particularly the JBS one, I mean, that is pretty much critical national infrastructure because you're actually talking about the food supply chain, and you can't pretty much get more critical than that. They had to stop production. Um, the reasons for stopping production was because they were obviously frightened that the attack on their IT could jump across to their OT, and they were wanting to be absolutely sure that we can bring OT back online again. So they're going to shut their OT down in the correct manner because they know they can then bring it back up again in the correct manner. But if malware gets onto it from the IT side, then there's a chance they'll never be able to shut it down properly and never be able to bring it back up again properly. So the result is a decision driven by fear. Let's just shut it down, but shut it down in the right way. So you, you and I have had a conversation before about what you call the fragility of OT systems. Can you, can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, so it might seem a bit odd thing to say when you look at, say, a big um, car plant and think, how on earth can that be fragile and vulnerable? It's huge. It's full of big, massive organization, organization big machines doing what they're doing. 
Um, but a few things you need to bear in mind is um, OT systems were not designed with security in mind. Okay, they were designed with availability and safety. That's not quite the same thing as security in mind. To always be available and that, so that people don't get hurt um, on the factory floors. But with that in mind, because they weren't designed for security, that makes them vulnerable, vulnerable to attack. And the reason they're also fragile is because it's easy to actually stop them. Um, uh, the devices that exist inside the OT um, might look robust and they do the same thing, you know, thousands and thousands of times for 10, 20 years or whatever. Uh, so long as they stick in that environment and do just that, the minute something else appears that's different or interrupts or looks or changes what they're about, probably causes them to fail. And that's why they're so fragile. And unfortunately, threat actors know that. Threat actors know that if you really want to cause some damage, attack the critical national infrastructure of a country, because the CNI has almost certainly been run by OT, and you can really do some damage then. Well, and of course, you know, hackers are looking for industries and environments that can't afford to shut down. So if you, like you said, in critical na national infrastructure, if they know they can shut those down, that's, that's a pretty serious pain point. Yeah, and they realize that, uh, particularly if it's ransomware, and just in case people don't realize, you can ransom OT, okay? You can ransom OT operations. Um, they realize that. And if they can ransomware an OT system, it's on the basis of they know that the organization can't afford to have production halted or changed or interrupted in any kind of way. And maybe the easiest solution to get things back to normal will be, take a wild guess, pay the ransom. And that's why they go after them. It's the same reason that uh, attackers go after things like municipalities and hospitals, because you know, people are this big drive to maintain that service. And perhaps the easiest way to maintain that service is pay the ransom. And that's why they attack them. So when, when you were talking about the fragility of OT systems, how much is that complicated by the fact that a lot of these systems are older? They've been in use for years, if not decades. They're running on older software. How much of a wrench does that throw into the gears? Well, that's, uh, that's, the, that's one of the biggest issues is for many of them, the fragility comes from the fact that they're so old and they were designed so long ago. In some cases, guess what? Before the internet actually existed. And they run on processes that are very, very old and operating systems known as protocols that can be very, very old, almost to the point where nobody knows how to run them anymore because whoever designed them isn't on the planet anymore. Um, that makes them very, very, very uh, fragile. And it also means that people don't want to really touch things or change things, very resistant to change, because to do so, nobody's really sure what the outcome will be. It might be okay, or it might not be okay. And if it's the chance that it's not going to be okay, guess what? They won't do it. So that's why you don't get people patching OT in any way to the sort of extent and time scale that you get in IT because they don't know what the patch will do. It might, it might shout like boo at a PLC and it gets frightened and falls over and stops working. So that's, that's part of that whole fragility coming from the fact that it was designed so, so long ago. So how does the modern supply chain further complicate OT security? And, and, and to ask you to solve it, what can be done about it? What can we do there? Uh, well, the supply chain got a bit more complicated over the last year with working from home. Um, when you're talking about supply chain, you're talking about others other than yourself being involved in what you do. So remember, we've spoken about fragility, vulnerability, not wanting things to touch your OT system. But you have to let things touch your OT system. You have to let your supplier supply parts for your OT system. Now, in the past, if you get new parts coming to an OT system, people would test them for a long, long time, make sure they're absolutely safe before they put them in. That's been really, really difficult to do over the past year. Um, and there are problems with that supply chain. In the way that you saw solar winds being used, 
not necessarily to hack solar winds, but then to use what solar wind supplies elsewhere to attack others down the supply chain. Exactly the same thing applies to OT. And I can think of many instances where um, devices that exist on the OT network were actually infected before they got on. And then they've had to leave them there because guess what? They can't take them out because otherwise production will stop. Or through the supply chain access, which you have to uh, allow in third, third party um, access in the supply chain, the threat has come in through the third party, through the supply chain, not, not through the, uh, the organization itself, but from outside because they have to allow that to actually happen. Whether that's from remote access or guess what, just um, a contractor coming in to check on things and plugs in a USB stick and away we go. So, so to finish this up, I always like to, to ask the people I'm talking to to solve the problems of the world. So uh, is this ITOT divide uh, surmountable and, and what does the future of that relationship look like in a best case scenario? Okay, uh, OT networks often look very, very complicated because guess what, they are very, very complicated. And often to human beings, it can almost look like chaos. And if you've now got, you're now bringing your IT with all the world of benefit that brings, but also all the world of pain and threat that it brings, you're looking at mass complexity here. Uh, so my advice would be, and I've actually hinted to it when we spoke a, a little bit uh, earlier on when I talked about taking a unified view, is to use the same technology for both. And I would advocate you want to use a technology that can handle that complexity. You can actually handle chaos and can make sense out of it and actually work out what everything is actually supposed to do and, and, and quite literally on OT networks actually discover for you, what do I actually have here? I mean, this, this plant's been around for 50 years and people have been adding things to it for 50 years. And I'm not entirely sure what I've actually got here. Some of you will actually tell you what you've got, how it is, what it does normally, and then can actually point out to you that when something changes and say, hey, do you know what? Something's a little bit different here today. And maybe you want to get on this right now, because if you can do that, if you have the technology to do that, you don't get to the breach. OK, uh, so many products out there rely on having victims before we come up with solutions. And that's not really going to work in an OT network. You need to be able to get on it before the damage is actually done. And there are technologies out there that will actually be able to do that for you. That's great information. David. All the good news is I think we've solved all the problems. So so thank Yay. you. Now, thanks welcome. so much for being with us today and, and, and helping us understand this ITOT divide a little bit better. You're very welcome. All right, everybody. That was David Masson, Director of Enterprise Security at Darktrace. A very interesting conversation about the need to protect OT systems, the complexity that, uh, that intermingling IT and OT systems has, has added, and, uh, and the fragility of OT, which again, that was the phrase that stuck out to me after that interview. Um, because I'd never thought of them as fragile. And, you know, David put it pretty succinctly is they're fragile because it's pretty easy to stop them. You know, they, uh, they might look robust. They might do the same thing thousands and thousands of times for years. Uh, as long as they, as David said, as long as they stick to what they do and keep doing that same thing over and over. But if you introduce anything off the beaten path to them, then that can get really dangerous. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that that brought to mind for me was something like Stuxnet. And there, there have been um, examples in the world where uh, if you just introduce that sort of grain of sand into the finely tuned system, you can create 
physical damage in the world through hacking an IT system. So um, scary thing, as he said, threat actors realize they're fragile. Uh, threat actors realize that if you really want to cause some damage, if you really want to uh, to create havoc in the world, you attack the critical national infrastructure of a country because um, because if millions and you know millions and millions of people rely on it. Uh, it is most certainly, as he said, being run by OT, and you can do some damage there. So, uh, as I said uh, when I was introducing David. Scary stuff, but but good to know and a really, really good case. Not only a, a good, uh, just rational case, but, um, but a security case, a business case for protecting OT systems and the need to take that seriously and try to manage uh, some of that complexity that has been has been thrown out in the world um, by the by ITOT convergence, which again, Overall, a very good thing for the world at large. It is helping streamline systems. It is probably in the long run helping keep systems safer. But um, those conversations do need to ha be happening between IT and OT. So those systems are protected. IT needs to realize that you can't protect OT systems the way you protect IT systems and vice versa. So all these things that we've talked about before, and I'm sure we'll continue uh, to talk about. Um, again, it is National Security, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so uh, please, if you don't usually think about cybersecurity, and, and let's be honest, you're listening to this podcast, you probably do occasionally think about cybersecurity. Otherwise, I don't really even know what you're doing here. Thanks for listening, but why? Um, but, it, but you know, this is the time to really consider, are you doing these things that, uh, that are being focused on here? Multi-factor authentication, strong passwords, updating software phishing? Are you taking those things seriously? If you're taking those things seriously, is your IT department taking those things seriously? If your IT department is taking those things seriously, is your OT department taking those things seriously? If they are, is the C-suite and the board taking things seriously? Um, you know, you do want to create that culture of cybersecurity throughout an, uh, an organization. It is not one department's job. It is not one person's job. Uh, cybersecurity is everybody's job. So as they say in Cybersecurity Awareness Month, be cyber smart. Hashtag be cyber smart. Uh, we also will have uh, more great content as always at industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. Uh, if you're not coming to the site regularly, please check us out. We've got all kinds of good stuff. Like I said, we've got um, those throwback attacks that we have every Thursday. We have vulnerabilities released uh, every Monday. So we keep track of of the vulnerabilities that come out during a given week. And uh, we post those on Mondays and then all kinds of different articles on all kinds of different topics that are, that are of interest uh, to people in the cybersecurity and especially the industrial cybersecurity field. And of course, every Tuesday we'll be dropping a new podcast. So, so stick with us for those. And I promise we'll have Tyler back next week. So you won't have to listen to just me and the, and the guest. We'll have another voice on here as well. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Check back next time. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.